Welcome to the Future of Growth podcast with Agrify. Here, we'll be exploring all things related to cannabis, ag tech, controlled environment agriculture, vertical farming, cultivation science, industry trends, and more. Informed by science and driven by data, episodes will enlighten our audience through open dialogue with thought leaders, innovators, and industry disruptors who are forging the future of growth. Join our host, David Kessler, Chief Science Officer at Agrify, as he dives into the many facets that cannabis and agriculture have to offer. Stay connected with Agrify by joining us on all platforms at Agrify Corp. and by visiting our website, www.agrify.com. Sit tight for another episode of The Future of Growth, coming at you now. Hi, everyone. I'm David Kessler, the Chief Science Officer at Agrify, and this is The Future of Growth. I am so privileged today to be joined by Jimmy Devine, one of the most well-known cannabis columnists in the United States. Jimmy, you've been involved with cannabis reform since 2005, working in the California Berkeley cannabis industry since 2009. And you're a prolific writer and cannabis enthusiast. And currently you serve as the uh, columnist for the cannabis uh, critic uh, at LA Weekly. You know, thank you so much for joining me and bringing your expertise to the show and to our listeners. Oh, my pleasure. You know, always down to talk shop. It's my favorite thing. You know, it's a labor of love for me. So, you know, always, always down to chat it up on the game. I love it. I love it. Now, look. I've read a lot of your work, and uh, one of my favorite things is strains. I'm a strain collector, uh, amateur breeder. That being the case, uh, I haven't lived on the West Coast. You've had the experience of probably some of the finest cultivators in the U.S. experiencing their flower for years and years. Uh, you know, what it's is crazy. it? It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> And the strains evolve. And, you know, I was talking about this with my wife, but I can recall the exact plant, the strain, how it grew, the morphology, the taste profile of the ones that are really memorable to me. Are there strains for you that just cut through the haze and really have a memorable experience in terms of their differentiation, uh, whether that's a taste profile or the aesthetic? I mean, Honestly, there's like, there's like 50 things I remember where I was the first time I smoked them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but I'm so honestly, I'm trying to, uh, as much as I love the, the most exotic weed cannabis possible, uh, being on attempting to be on the most cutting edge of, uh, you know, real hardcore genetics journalism, just like on the farm straight from the breeder's mouth kind of thing. Uh, there's been, there's, there's so much old school stuff too, that like, still like, like, you know, I popped open, uh, like, you know, it still rings a bell for me. Like sometimes I don't want to, I'm not as into it. Maybe I won't spend a dime on it, but like, for example, I was popping open those, uh, Seth Rogen jars and like one of them, like the pink moon was like a tangy and, mm. uh, the Diablo wind was like a Jack and like people like I have been, you know, subjected to a lot of those terps professionally over the last uh, decade but it doesn't mean they're not great 
doesn't mean that those don't connect with people. And it's still, they don't, doesn't mean they don't connect with me. I smelled that jar. I knew exactly what that was, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like this. So, so it's, it's fun. Cause like, yeah, those, those, those strains connect with you at every emotional level, like uh, in the way they like leave a mark. Like you understand, like for me, like one great example. And, and the guy who bred it, me and him laugh about this is like a forbidden fruit. Forbidden, mm. forbidden fruit was one of the biggest strains of the decade for sure top top 10 in the 2010s for sure easy Absolutely. and it's like i'm not i i am not like a calio guy but like i couldn't deny like the for I, you know I'm, I'm not a forbidden fruit guy it wasn't for me but i can't deny like the the terps like conquer all like the hype speaks for itself and like some people think it's like say it's marketing or it's like they got a nice logo but sometimes it's just you know that a really specific terpene profile that speaks to a really specific crowd and that crowd singing loud enough about how excited they are you know can put something on the map forever and that's a beautiful thing too like as much as i get excited about people being supportive of like the heat I'm picking, like, uh, I always try and like hunt for that. I, there's, I always try and get that stuff that doesn't connect with me, but like, everyone's telling me, yo, Jimmy, you're wrong about this one. I try like, those are the most important ones for me to put on the list. Like, right. I mean, you got to open my own your mind, uh, to, to what other people mm-hmm. think is impressive. And it's and- almost like a, it's almost like a, an add on for radar. You know what I mean? Like on my own radar, like the real blips, like I don't need, I don't need any help. But like sometimes there's these terpene profiles that my radar is not built for. Like it's like stealth to me. Mm-hmm. Like so in just being is like uh, communicating with as many people about the game as possible, the genetics of the moment, what we're seeing, what we're working, what lines are going down. Like I'm I'm talking about pheno. I'm already talking about pheno hunts that aren't even starting for like a, for a month from now. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like that's when you really start getting in the heat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what's the new new? And it's not yeah. even popped yet. Uh, but it's been years in the making. I mean, these breeders are not just Chuck and Pollock. There is a directed breeding yeah. program. A lot of them have a very specific intention with what they're trying to accomplish. And it's become so much more interesting, I think, that it's since it's uh, become more accepted and legal, the size of the breeding projects has led to so much uh, improvement. You know, it's it's not- interesting though because there's well, there's a balance to that though because even yeah. back in Canada in the 2000s, you had people running like 12,000, 1,200 seed propagations trying to hunt down like Northern Lights phenos, but also today some of the world's absolute top level a triple a growers are like oh if i once i pop 20 seeds like i can see pretty much all the expression i'm gonna see towards the dad towards the mom and in the middle where all the magic is like mm-hmm. so it's like it's a it's a different mindset and, and that's all it's so crazy to me because then you'll hear people uh like i went and saw like uh the propagation the compound genetics did last summer it was a greenhouse run of like 1200 seeds and i looked at like the 80 winners and it's like so crazy i saw like five different phenotypes of jokers Jokers is about to be like the next big strain. Like for sure, I, I, I would put some chips on it. It's going to be like, you know, in the conversation over the next 12 months as, as like the hype hype. And it's like to see it like at every level, like, all right, these are the five phenos we got it narrowed down to. This is the gas. This is the, this is the jet fuel heavy. Like it's, it's so exciting. Like, and it's fun when I'm wrong. Like, oh, I think this is going to win. And then you see the one that like does and it's like, nope. Okay. The joke's on me. <laughs> well, look, you don't have a crystal ball. You can only use the lens of which you have. And, you know, I would have to say I love doing seed popping and pheno hunting. And, 
you know, while I do think that you can find some amazing winners out of a pack of 20 and you get a good idea of the expression, the scientist in me says, look, the bigger the gene pool, the more likely you'll see that 0.1% of expression that's really, you know, not going to show up in a smaller seed phenome. Yo, there's three, there's three different celebrities running, running genetics off of three different, like three packs of uh, dying breed seeds total from third generation family. So if you get the right, you know, if you get some, some lottery tickets, some lottery tickets are better than others for a reason, you know, like you can stack your odds of, you know, what your chances of winning are. Let me tell you, that is for sure. Oh man, the times there's so and there's so much work to be seen. I like I do well on the stuff uh, in NorCal, and I'm try I try to do the best I can. Like when, now that I'm working, because uh, I've pretty much been with the, I got the job at LA Weekly like official official uh, in last like February. So <laughs> I was like I had these big plans. I was, yep. <laughs> So the plan, the plans I had these big like I'm gonna be in LA once a month. I'm gonna because you know I, right here where I based in Oakland I'm halfway between the hill and Hollywood. Like I can get to I can get to Eureka or West Hollywood in five hours. Uh, so it's like literally in I'm like the halfway point. So for when all the hitters are like if like there's a hitter going in either direction back in the day like we had I had this uh, I I still work at the dispensary too in the mornings and there's this bar there's this bar next to the dispensary and then like in the afternoon it would become like a rotation I would do so many interviews there it just became a rotation of like industry names like stopping by on their way north or south. Uh, or just come into the bay from wherever to like smoke a blunt with me and talk shop. And it was just, it was so fun. Ah, oh. and then everything, you know, and then I got to this eventually, like it was popping when I was, you know, just writing for cannabis now and all that, blah, blah, blah. And then I finally reached this like next kind of level as I leveled up to LA weekly and like the, st- the, the structure that I had used to create it to like, to create all the fun, like was kind of relying on the world being open. <laughs> so it's been fun to adjust and still tell cool stuff. You know, a lot of cannabis journalists didn't get to tell stories during the pandemic. A lot of super worthy people that tell great tales. Uh, and I'm just super thankful. I got to keep covering genetics policy, the whole deal, you know, that is such a, a privilege. And I'm, I'm so glad you're doing it as a, a voice in the industry and a very important one. Um, you mentioned that you hail from the Northeast, uh, you know, growing up, some of the first cannabis I saw that I would, you know, label as kind came from California. But the bulk of what we saw came out of uh, Canada, out of British Columbia. I mean, you affectionately named Beasters. Uh, when you were on the East Coast, did you see that kind of quality? And, you know, I, I, are we fighting against the Budweiser kind of quality that's being produced around the country, that, that Beaster or commercial level grade? that's becoming ubiquitous in some markets. Honestly, the closer, the closer you got to Boston, the more like at my, when I was that young, I'm talking 15, 16, uh, the closer you got to Boston, the more like Mexican brickweed it was. Mm-hmm. And the, like the, the, and, and it is to this day, like the older, the better the weed, the more likely it is to get scooped up by old people, like with the disposable income. And then whatever, whatever is left goes to those poor kids uh, trying to find their way in the world. Um, so like the weed I got in Boston was like pretty good, like was generally good. And then when I started getting involved, like once I was on the East Coast and introduced policy like SSTP normal and that scene, 
I got introduced to like some some a lot higher level heat for for the East Coast. Like the first time I smoked like really hyper like the first time I went to a high times party was like oh six after the Boston Freedom Rally, and that was like at, up to that point like that was the first time I saw like Sweet Cindy like a Cinderella ninety nine cross and, like that was the first time I saw Urkel. Uh, so it was like a big it was a big moment for me, <laughs> and then from there it was funny. Cause I ended up uh, going up to Canada to uh, my home. Like I met at the SSDP conference, I met uh, these Canadian activists and they're like, Oh, the DEA is coming to town. Come to Montreal. We're protesting. You can crash with us. Like, yeah, sure. sure. See you there. Like, so we go up there and then that, that ends up being the first time I go to a dispensary and I see they have like blueberry hash plant. Uh, some of those like sensi strains from the middle two thousands, you know? Yep. No, some of my favorite memories are uh, a Northern Lights haze from Sensi that tasted like a pine tree, and my college. ML four haze is timeless. Yeah, that's oh. what that's what Josh D was growing before he got the OG cut. He was yeah. growing NL haze, and it was beautiful. There's a tidbit for you. <laughs> oh my gosh! And oh, the 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 euphoria. It was just so happy. It was up. It was enjoyable. Um, there was a few, don't get me wrong. There was a few Northern Lights hazes going around at that point, but generally I, everyone obviously, so many people crossed it because they all understood the potential. So yeah. it speaks to, it speaks to like, you know, just like there was all those random OGs in the late 2000s. Uh, when, but that part of, part of the random OG wave was people trying to stabilize it for different parts of the Emerald Triangle for like microclimates and stuff. Like the Royal Kush was better, closer to the, co uh, closer to the coast because it could deal with the fog, stuff like that blah, blah, blah. And there was a bunch of OGs that came from that. But a bunch of it was, was like OG bag seed being crossed with things because somebody got some random OG bag seed and they just wanted to try and get some OG seeds. So like, yeah. it's fine. That's fine. That was good. It was great for the genome. There's a bunch of heat out there, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm down. <laughs> well, we want to make sure that we preserve the genetic uh, diversity in the gene pool. You know, a lot of cultivators are doing their part, kind of preserving some of those land race genetics. But others are worried that, you know, we're getting to a point of what I would call complex polyhybrids, where you breed the same thing on top of a very similar profile over and over. And as it's described, you end up with a, a brown dog in India, where everything is homogenized towards the middle. Are you worried that we're losing some of the diversity? Or do you think breeders are doing a good job of keeping those gene pools uh, alive? Well, I think the thing that scares breeders the most is when you talk about these entities that try and develop these strain, these super strains, and they think they're going to have like these, these, you know, conglomerates think they're going to have this small catalog of strains that, and there's these strains are going to be so good. Why would anybody grow anything else? Like, you know what I mean? And, but in reality to like the real connoisseur, like that smokes high grade, like if you smoke the real heat, like, the fun, the uh, if you're like a, a wine person, yep. Uh, there's certain years like the the, the the that's gone, that year's gone forever, you know what I mean? If you yeah. smoke, if you're a cannabis connoisseur, there's a whole new level of hype to understand every year. Like, this new, like, a, a person can have like an amazing summer and then they're on the map forever, and you're always, and it might maybe every run might not be spectacular. Maybe they get, maybe they grow some of the best fucking depth in Cal, excuse me, I apologize. No, maybe, no, they, maybe they grow some of the best depth in California and then the next year they get hit by smoke for a week, you know, and stuff like that. But it does, but it doesn't, they're still on the map because it's an agricultural commodity 
and there's risks and there's, there's things happening and that that's the game. So it's hype to see like those little guys as they like, as long as the big machine can't really create these like super strains, which I know one really thinks they can, but the idea that they could pro like, they could like create enough genetic markers within these strains, like that's another fear that they create these strains and try and copyright these strains with enough genetic markers from so many things in them in the strain that you can go back over a whole category of stuff and be like, Oh, though, this fucking, excuse me, this push from 19, this master push from Holland in 1992 has our genetic markers in it. You can't grow that. Like, and that's a real thing that like traumatizes people on the hill. I did an interview the other day with like a really, I'm not even going to, so once this part went so bad, I'm not even going to blow these people's butt, but like, it's one of the people that kind of like meant to speak for the industry in a sense and i said and as in and don't get me wrong like the most i've always i always say the most important thing is get people out of the cage and then figure everything else out like we can those we can make the money back later the, the game can make the money back later those people can never get those those minutes of their lives back like so as soon as you can get them out the better but then after you get those people out and that priority uno then you start talking about you know maintaining equity for these people and communities that have been such a part like so you know that were like so integral to cannabis police the worst for cannabis and it's just there's so many layers to it um man i forgot i had some fascinating tangent i was going on but uh it's there's just so many layers to it right now and it, it just ugh, you know Absolutely. And, and I think that you were talking about the genetic preservation and the markers and the risks to the industry. Uh, and, and just go little guy. That's what it was. The little guy, as long as the little guy stays organized, like, the, 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 like that, those super strains can't be real because the genome will keep the little guy will keep the genome moving forward. And the, like the, the, it takes, it'll take that conglomerate X amount of months to catch up to where the heat is really at. That's how I should, that's the most concise way of saying it. Okay. <laughs> and, and to your analogy about the wine industry and viniculture, I mean, to think that I could just say, I'm just going to do a house red and a white, and it's the best house red and white you can really get. And we just can do away with all the other grape varieties, all the it's other the way. It's like the, it's like those, con it's, it's like the connoisseur markets flip the way they look at the history mm -hmm. uh, in a sense. Cause like, I don't know. It's like the wine, like, wine doesn't have a year to year like is a certain level of consistency. it takes years to get those grapes ready to mm -hmm. go in a bottle you know what i'm saying so when you talk about the connoisseur market and cannabis and terpenes and flavor profiles you can look for a lot new you can look for a lot more new and different things every year like yep. every year a larger a large oh, that's just a better way of wording it every year a larger portion of the cannabis market is new flavors than the connoisseur wine market. Absolutely. And it, you bring up an interesting point that people can have a good year, a bad year. When you're cultivating, the environment can exert a lot of influence on the expression of that genetic. It's something that's really important to me because I work a lot with closed environments and how to control that to, to maximize the genetic qualities, the potential of, of each flower individually. Because the way you deal with your animal mints is going to be uh, possibly different than the way I, I maximize the potential of the pancake. Maximize, you know, maximizing potential was my tangent. That was what I was okay. talking about before I mentioned the, actually, yeah. uh, the equity thing. I was talking about how when we speak this organization that was speaking for the industry moving forward, I asked them, 
after you do all those important things that I was listing, like, what about these? How do we make sure the weed's still good? Because if these, if the legal market can't grow pot better and that's as competitive as the underground market, like the, you know, the, the California black market still said to be allegedly three times larger than the legal market now, a few years later. Part of that is because the bottlenecks of reg regulation, the impact they have when they hit on the flower. Like, I, you know, weed's pretty safe. Like, I know, like, we get into the pesticides part, parts per million. There weren't a lot of people getting killed from trap weed for the last Ever? 50 years. Yeah. So, like, you know what I mean? I get, I was, yo, don't get me wrong. Eagle 22 is nasty. I don't want no avid on my purple. But, Generally speaking, there were a lot of people, nice people out there growing fireweed that like didn't have those things. Mm -hmm. So it's so how, you know, and a bunch of those people like I talked to, I went to uh, the oldest black owned dispensary in America a few weeks ago. I talked to the owner, Keith, uh, Keith, Keith Stevenson, legend. Uh, he said to me that when before legalization, they had 400 small vendors, 10 of those guys made it through legalization and got a permit. Oh, so you had wow. so you're talking about 390 people that grew club level quality cannabis in Oakland in the competitive marketplace. Oakland's no joke. Like you got to grow some. Like back in the day when there was only seven, there was only seven clubs back then. Now there's a ton. Like back in the day, you had to grow heat to get on get shelf space. Absolutely. So, and, and you had to spend and, and the clubs had to spend. Like people would take people would take the the nicest nugs to him. Cause they knew he'd pay top dollar for the tops and then bring the medium sized nugs and the smallest to Harborside and BPG all love to those guys. Not talking, not talking trash. It just was what it was. You know, I totally get it. And, and uh, what I don't want is the legal industry to usher in a wave of, you know, commercial kind or, or just crap cannabis. Um, Some are doing better than others. You know, that's what's for the most fascinating thing is watching the best, the, the most fascinating thing is watching the people who grow the best weed scale up and seeing how well they do. And, and like the way they do the a piece of technology that's coming into play on some of these bigger commercial grows. Now, I know that in the past you've written some on uh, LEDs versus high pressure. Yeah, sodium. for sure. Not to put think, words in your mouth. I think you would consider yourself uh, the biggest fan of sun growth. Uh, no, I said the best weed I've ever seen in my life was growing under HPS. So I have to ask you a question about that. There's a fascinating new study. It was actually just released. Uh, it's not even published fully yet, but it's cannabis yield potency and leaf photosynthesis responding differently to increasing light levels in an indoor environment. Basically, all it did was it said what a lot of the sun growers knew. You can't overlight cannabis. There's different people saying, oh, you, you, you can only use 500 micromoles or 1,000 micromoles. This study showed a linear increase to 1,800 micromoles with only improvements in yield and uh, consistency of, of terpene profile improved as well. Do you think that higher light growing is going to be the future? I know that, uh, you know, California has some energy utility regulations potentially in the works that could change things. Well, that's the thing. When we talk about this, when we talk about this debate, 
the only reason people hate on HBS, HPS is because of its carbon footprint and the impact it has on the environment. But is it the cannabis industry's fault that we as a society that's been producing power for X hundred years haven't come to a mechanism that we can't sustain, like in a more sustainable way, produce this energy we need to like, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of a cop out on it being the, the, the cannabis industry's fault that we as, as a culture haven't been more responsible with the grid and being like, you know, using more renewable resources, using the, the, the sun, sun, solar, wind, all, all of the above. Uh, sun and solar being the same thing, of course. Sorry. But uh, you know what I mean? Generally speaking, there's a lot of this little geothermal. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of mechanisms out there where we could create power in more responsible ways. That, and then that power could light those lights. And then that takes away pretty much all, you know, like once you take that out the debate, like, and you start talking heat, like I get, like I get mixed lights the future. I do. I've been, I've been in the $93 million nature green greenhouse. I've been in some of the most advanced, I've been in some of the most advanced grow rooms on the planet. I'm not trying to talk trash. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm just putting it into perspective. Like all the best weed I've ever seen in my life was grown in HP, uh, was grown under uh, HPS. Now, does that not mean, and that's, I'm, that's, I'm talking a triple, triple, AA, like best cannabis. Now, does that mean some of the best LED weed I've ever seen in my life wasn't right there? Absolutely not. The best LED weed in my life was probably grown by your highness, uh, the shady apples that's on shelves right now. It looks heat, but it was just, it's, it's in it. I've put it on a bunch of things. I've given it plenty of note. I've given it plenty of love, but it's just, I just like that. But for like my all time list, Everything like at that that has a seed at my like last supper of like the best weed I've ever smoked in my life came from HBS for sure. I totally get it. And I love sun grown. I love it all. Like I, the Terps, like, uh, the tur like I'd rather smoke rosin. I'd probably rather smoke rosin made from sun grown for Mm -hmm. sure. For sure. But if it comes to like, like lighting a blunt of heat, like I don't want any waxes. I don't want any waxes or lipids. I just want the most pristine representation of this terpene profile and THC possible. And that's my jam. And I most, and don't get me wrong, most of the weed I smoke is like smalls from a depth, like is like depth smalls. It's just banging weed deals. You know what I'm saying? Like the, I get, I, I grab the employee special. I grab, I use my employee discount on like our house nugs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not out here balling out every day. I'm on, you know, that journalist I'm on, I'm smoking on the journalist <laughs> budget for every tax bracket. I promise. You don't have a like, hundred pounds of different flavors. Yeah, every yeah, people think, yo, people think I get like a pack mail to my house every day. It's like, dog no i I can't then but i admit once 280e passes uh i'm gonna try and go back and like declare like five years worth of week damn straight (laughs) uh, yo i'm just gonna be like yo you guys i was it was the first amendment i was journalisming by like constitutional right and now here's my receipts (laughs) (laughs) i'm very organized (laughs) need more organized cannabis in three years it's gonna be a great time Oh, I, I hope that you win and uh, win handily. Um, that being said, I appreciate all the people who give me pot. <laughs> oh, we all. Right? I don't want to sound. I don't want to sound like I'm unthankful. <laughs> um, now, look, you bring up an interesting point that the the bulk of everything that you put on your top list is HPS grown, but HID lighting has been used since the '70s when people were ripping them down off street poles. And so LEDs really could only grow a plant for the last 10 years. If we're being honest, before that, they were nothing more than light brights that made pretty colors and killed your plants. 
Um, so people. First time I used the first time I used an LED to veg plants was in 2010. Yeah, no, it was a panel. It was a panel that was given to me for free. Yeah, uh, and it was the first time I. It was like two. It was like two. It was like this big, (laughs) and it was like it was red and blue lights on it, right? And it barely could keep plants alive. That's not the case anymore. But HID growers have had fifty years to kind of hone their craft, really figure out how to work with that light source. LED growers are trying to figure out, you know, with a fairly new light source, how to use it. And it changes and evolves every year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm excited to see where the LED market goes. But I'm also excited to see what we can do at these higher light intensities. Well, I put that, but you can kind of put, compare the LED conversation to the vaporizer conversation, right? Like we see, we've seen so much new vaporizer tech over the last 20 years. But if I had to pick something to put on my coffee table, I'd get a volcano in a second. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, so like sometimes, sometimes things just work. So, you know, sometimes you don't need to fix the wheel. But I get what you're saying. Like, and I get that. And I think if you are, when it does come to fixing, it's a, it's a production of power issue as opposed to a change the way we create the best cannabis in the world. And another thing, doing that in California, like as we, as this interstate shit opens, excuse me, as this interstate market opens up and whatever whatever exports look like in the next decade, I bet, yo, I th- I bet you you're going to be able to mail pounds to New York within like three years. Like, I think you're going to be able to buy, like, this exotic California-grown, like, NorCal-grown, sun-grown, off-the-shelf in New York City in 36 months. Now, maybe that number, maybe people think I'm an idiot. Maybe that number comes back to, to laugh at me, and, and people laugh, comes back, and people laugh at me. But, like, the way the gas is, I just watched two states legalize weed this week. I know. I'm yeah. Like, I'm just, it's, it's, this is crazy. Like, for some, like, just as speaking, you know, I'm only 30, I'm only 34. But just speaking to someone who's been doing this his whole adult life, like this last, these last like couple, you know, just, just the pace of progress is insane. Like, <laughs> 100%. I honestly didn't think my home state of New York would really go legal for another five years. I thought it would get caught up in committee and everything. And, they really pushed it through this year. It's been impressive. Uh, but I think, you know, whether it's for the right or wrong reasons, whether it's tax revenue, you know, post COVID or whether they see a, a benefit or honestly, what I hope it is, is they're bending to the will of the constituents. This is well, the, yeah, you got to remember, this is, it's not like this was, it's not like this all materialized out of nowhere. This no. is, seven, this is seven years of effort by uh, all, all those people in Albany that champion the bill, like Liz Kruger, and then the folks over in the assembly, obviously crushing it. Like those guys are the reason it's here. It's just uh, Kumo was more willing to come more to the middle to get to get that team win right now. And we won't speak to why. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to speculate on that. But we can definitely say that the reason New York weed is legal in New York right now is because the governor, who had had his own plan the past couple of years, was able to come to the middle of the road a bit more with the legislator, and now pot's legal. And that's great. And that's dope. And however, you know, people will speculate for years. Why? The hows and whys. For a thousand percent, there's going to be a, there's probably going to be a book about is weed legal in New York because of sex scandals? Like maybe, maybe. But in this moment, like. It uh, is. That's what <laughs> yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to burn no bridges. I'm just saying 
Like <laughs> it just, it is what it is. But here we are just, and now we're in New Mexico, you know, now we're on to this next great tale in New Mexico. And here again, uh, you know, back when in 2000, I think it was like six, but went back when Bill Richardson was governor, you know, he was the champion of medical cannabis in, in you know, when New, in New Mexico, when New Mexico got medical cannabis, it was the most, even though it had a democratic governor, uh, was like the most conservative place ever to get medical cannabis up to that point. And now here we are, you know, 16 years later, the new governor being the champion of this effort to legalize cannabis that came in two bills, one to legalize cannabis, the other to expunge the records of all these crimes that that, uh, that, that other bill uh, just turned into not a, uh, the, the, the legalization bill got rid of. So it's so fantastic just to, to see it also happen and to see how much like the equity conversation we had earlier, like the, like, you know, how much, how intertwined I was in the room. Um, you know, the first, I was like, once it got to, uh, it started in Oakland in like January 16, January, 2016, the supernova, women uh did the first like real public equity event where like they started talking about this issue i kind of uh picked up on it in the, in the late summer got involved when oak deck oak deck in oakland started working on it before the first equity legislation was brought before the oakland city council um in 2016 and then they then you know oakland developed from there then we start you know equity rolled across the country from there uh so it's been fascinating just to see, see like a conversation that went from like somebody's you know coffee table to the basement of a to the basement of a youth radio station to a city hall to a city hall chamber to everywhere like finding you know you know x years later and like knowing like seeing amber and uh you know sunshine and all Nina and all the, all the other people that worked on it. Um, Alex Savell, God rest his soul was one back in the day. Like a lot of people were like his name, won't, his name won't be remembered enough for it. But when like the, when the equity ball was rolling, he was like a paralegal at one of uh, the law offices in Oakland that was very involved in the cannabis industry. And he was kind of like, and also an expert in like, what had happened to these communities. And he was a can so he was a cannabis policy expert. And he was also an expert in like what had really happened with policing in these communities. And he was like, so like in that, in that moment, uh, he was such a young, uh, an amazing voice of articulation, along with these uh, amazing uh, women of color that just like decimated it and started the conversation. Like the Al Alex really articulated uh, the devastation well and like what it really meant and he did such a good job back then so he should like I hope he's a name like as this equity conversation like continues to percolate across America I hope he's a name that people don't forget for sure. I certainly hope not and in fact earlier today I had the pleasure of speaking to uh, uh, Devin Alexander who's been working a lot on the social equity in Massachusetts but it was really the help of Canaclusive uh, that helped back down the uh, the CDA from their lawsuit that was injunctive against them. I mean, are we doing enough to support these social equity programs? Uh, well, the biggest problem was early on. The big a no, they need money. A mm -hmm. b, the biggest problem early on was equity pre equity programs being used as a scapegoat for wider regulatory issues. Like, oh, we're messing up everything. Oh, we're trying to figure out the equity program. Sorry, give us, give us a couple months. Like, yeah. and that was a real thing. And so like people like, so like immediately off the bat, these other, all these legacy operators, all of these people that were trying to like interact 
with the permitting process, like the, 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 the machine using equity programs as a scapegoat. And then sometimes those on the, those, and sometimes shady operators too, did too. It wasn't just the regulators for sure. It's not just to clarify, but like that, that taste, like those good people, uh, like right off the bat, like the, the, the problems of dealing with implementation left this taste in their mouth around equity that like, it's like, man, I wish like, not that, like, not that the mission was bad, just like what the, this, the process of the implement of the implement, like, you know, like they burnt their mouth cooking something that they knew was going to be great. You know what I mean? That it's, that thing is still, this thing's for a little, a second, you know what I mean? So like, it was, <laughs> I'm trying to make it say, I'm trying to articulate this and like, you know, know not, totally not sound like a hater, but like, like, so once that, once we got past that, uh, that scapegoat phase and like we had people with equ equ successful equity permit op operators showing a model. Now we have, you know, uh, Chris Ball got the first equity permit in Los Angeles. He grows heat. That's not a chair. Like it's, and that's another thing, like people trying to play the equity, like uh, we want to support, I, you know, for me, I want to support the, the best brands possible. Always. I want to support the communities that were devastated by the war on drugs. Always. There's also a certain pedigree of product that, that has to come to market so I can be like reckon, like say to people, hey, this is like this is worth your time. And in the process, you can support this community. You can help this get people get their foot in the door, like get that or get their footing, whatever, however you want to phrase it. Like that's the dopest. But sometimes people would play the would try and play like the do you want to buy uh, these equity white labeled pre-rolls filled with mystery tr uh, trim. You know what I mean? And it's like, so it's not, there's a balance to it all. So it's cool when you see like those are early equity operators like Chris Ball. Chris Ball grows heat. Ball, Ball Family Farms. I didn't even know. I knew who the, I knew what the LaRusso OG was before I knew who he was, before <laughs> I ever seen it. Like I was just one of those strains that was put on my radar like years ago. Like, yo, you ever see the LaRusso? I was like, no, what is, what is that? <laughs> like, so like that <laughs> was also, <laughs> tell me more. Yeah. This yo, I've had about 10,000 of those conversations at this point. <laughs> like, sitting there talking to Randy. I meet people because, you know, I wear weed t-shirts all the time. Like I meet someone who had a, who had a cousin in Humboldt, like, oh, let me try and remember everything he was growing that year. <laughs> like, <laughs> sitting at the airport talking about cousin Billy's light FOG from like 20, 2006. This poor guy's struggling around, oh, man, this is my time. This is my time to give my cousin some shine and I can't remember any of it. <laughs> The fact is there is so much good heat out there and there's a lot of not, but it'll get there. Um, yep. You know, and then get back to, like I said, scaling up. Like that's one of the funnest thing, watching the killers scale up and seeing who does it well. And thankfully some are like, yeah. you know, there's some people out there with a thousand lights that don't grow bad pot. Is it the same? Uh, there's a certain level, like there's a certain bar and I can't put, I can't draw the line in the sand personally and I don't understand it. And I can't explain why, but like the heat, the realest dealist heat only scales up so far. So it'll, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, who can push that heat with that real heat, heat bar, the furthest is the dopest. Cause there's plenty of people that can grow great pot. Like, but maybe they can't grow, they can't grow their 20 light room, like level, like if they're, they're sincere, emotional focus on this space level of heat, but they can grow really great pot. But there's some people that really every step of the way, they don't even take, they don't even think 
of approaching the next step. Like, and then, and then that next step is a year of R and D to try and figure it out how to get it exactly like the room that's 20 feet away. Like it's, I love that. I love that. You're bringing up, I mean, I, I wish I could be there with you to thank you because controlling your environment is how you manipulate the plant to do what it can potentially do. And so I've seen some MSOs go. Sun's hitting the roof. The sun's hitting the roof a different, a different way. (laughs) But then I have others that are doing these, like now they're down to like a thousand square foot cultivation chamber rooms because they realize the smaller they go, the tighter they can control it, the easier it is to reproduce the environment they're trying to hit. But it's crazy. Like people don't people like when you really get into the politics of scale, when you start talking about hyper growing, like you get to the point where you talk about how many hours of day certain parts of the roof are exposed to sunlight and how the square, how that impacts the, the, uh, the atmosphere within the spaces under that light. Like it's so insane people cannot even fathom it and i love it and i love that nerd that real nerd shit it is oh, so yeah. fun yeah. <laughs> to mike dixon who's up at the university of guelph and his growth chambers control barometric pressure that's like a dream level of control they can control light and temperature and humidity but they can even control atmospheric pressure when we start getting into how we grow the best cannabis, the more levers you give a really great grower, the better they can do. Um, So to that end, uh, you know, do you think that we're going to see a lot of Budweiser beer? I mean, it's easy to grow more for less if you're willing to sacrifice quality, but I'm seeing a real sharp. The biggest winner, the biggest winners, the biggest uh, winners are going to be whoever grows the heat the cheapest and whoever grows the fire the firest like in the end once there's inter- once there's interstate commercial cannabis the most expensive eights are going to be over a hundred dollars because there's going to be people in 50 states trying to get their hands on that alien labs trying to get their hands on that jungle boys like for sure and people are mad like they say oh no that's the system that's this that's the cloud it's like no that's supply and demand like there's only going to be so there's only going to be so much of that X fire to go around that it is going to spike the, the, the price up. But after that, you get to that next wave, you get to that next level. There's going to be so much great discount pot. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so much. There's going to be, you're going to be able to get deals and steel zips all over the place. That being said, just like when you talk about a bottle of Johnny Walker black compared you know what what that kind of sketchy looking corner liquor store has uh it it is what it is you know and that that just you get like there's a there's a there's obviously there's a bullshitter argument but there's a get what you pay for argument too and a lot there's a lot of stuff that's going to lean towards the get get what you pay for yeah no i'm a big believer that you know there's always someone that's willing to do it for a little less money if it can be a little lower quality Mm -hmm. and it's a race to the bottom i don't want to be a part of but for those craft cultivators that love what they do, that really try and push the envelope, you know, whether it's Milky Way from Alien or whether it's the, the Zookies from Ember. I mean, whatever it is. Which is also, which was also bred by Alien Labs. It's called, uh, it's called Zombie Cookies now. They just changed the name. Just a heads up. Why did they change the name? I'm just curious. I don't know. Really? I don't know. I like those guys generally, though. I'm not going to talk shit. I, I yeah. was I was surprised at that one because I thought the Zook, well, the Zookies has pretty good SEO. Like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> 
But look, one of the things that I've written about is that we don't have a naming structure in cannabis and it's hard to keep track of the cuts and the clones and the varieties. Um, do you- well, We don't want everything to be like Afghan 426. Like <laughs> I get I get what you're saying too. I like I liked the spice of life. Maybe some people got a little weird with it. I get that, you know, but generally speaking, like, I think a lot of the names are fun. Like sometimes oh, totally. people, sometimes people get like the ones I hear get like, you know, besides like AK 47. And then obviously the first, the first uh, weed ever to win a U.S. cannabis cup was called God's pussy, which was, it was actually, it was actually vortex from Subcool TGA seeds. And it was super heat. I smoked it. They, they did the first, <laughs> they did the first judging, uh, uh, at Dennis Perone, the first U.S. Cannabis Cup, they judged it at Dennis Perone's house, and my boy was like coming out to like uh, help MC, and yeah. so they brought they let me come by too, and I got to smoke some of the Vortex. And I remember Sean Black just being like, "Don't smoke it all. We only got a little. Can't, I don't even know if we can smoke. I don't even know if we can smoke that actually." Too <laughs> late. <laughs> And I was definitely just, too late. <laughs> and I was like, too, you know, I mean, I was just like this young kid, like, of course, yeah, I just wanted to look at it. Of course, thank you. <laughs> oh, please. I'm sure you got to take a little sample. <laughs> yo, I, yo, it's so fun. It was so fun. And it was then, so, but yeah, then the controversy that followed was just madness. And it's just, you know, besides that and AK 47, I think we do okay. You know what I mean? I think general, there's general families of cannabis uh that we like social like uh the emerald cups in like seven different flavor categories this year you know what i'm saying like there's these general profiles that we general uh associate now uh with with the space there's not too much like super new new you know what i mean like a completely you know maybe what was the, the last like completely refreshing and complex terpene profile uh that was completely new would probably be like skittles even like, even some of the stuff, even the stuff that's ta maybe taken over the hyposphere sense has mm. been like a lot of like, like, like gelatos. Cause that was one of the things about gelato. Cause gelato had like two hype waves uh, when it first dropped in 2014, 2014 to 2016. Uh, it was, you know, one strain of the year back then everyone was hyped. And then it kind of like, it was a couple then Skittles popped off for a year. And then this like next wave of this next wave of like BX gelatos <laughs> like chopped. And then it was then, then gelato was straight in the year again. We saw because the first because the first round we had like uh, you know the Shubin, the general Shabinsky stuff, the Cookie Fam stuff, you know the Acai, the Jello, uh, and then that second round was when we saw like the Jet Fuel and the Forty One drop oh. and like in in mass uh, and it, or the Forty Five. You know there was because there was so many. There was a bunch of gelatos, but it's all it, you know it's all love. Uh, but it was it was funny how like one strain can have like different hype waves and like that was the only strain that like took off twice last decade i i like to say like it had its own like it had two it separate had a, like a, you know ball mode it was like if it was like the ufc like got like you know it lost by decision but it's like yo i'm coming back for another one got the knockout won the rubber match you know <laughs> it's incredible you mentioned jet fuel and i just gotta throw out a nerdy point here the U.S. Navy is actually looking at terpenes derived from cannabis as a fuel ingredient for actual jet fuel because they make a uh, monoterp or I'm sorry, a sesquiterpene that lowers the, the uh, combustion point and makes the jet fuels work better. 
but the U.S. Navy is studying cannabis terpenes as literally jet fuel. <laughs> and meanwhile, you're why you know what sucks? What that they I can't I don't even know how they would do the research well because the only research grade cannabis being grown in the U.S. at the University of Mississippi is absolutely trash.com. So this poor these poor guys are trying to keep America safe from the 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 Mig thirty five with the hottest newest dopest terp fuel and they can't even get the flame to put in these poor jets to protect us in World War Three. That's a shame. All the more reason the DEA needs to open. Open up the research permits and let all these people sitting on spaces for to grow research grade cannabis grow that research grade cannabis. Great point. Exactly. Well, look, we're, we're I'm already enjoying it so much. I've already used most of my hour. Uh, you know, Jimmy, are there any strains that you think we should uh, be on the lookout for? You already mentioned, uh, I think it was Joker that that is going to Joker. Be... Yeah, that's that's the white run sex, white run sex, Jeff Fuel Gelato from Compound X runs. That's a heater. That new Zope from the Zope from DEO is going to be heat. They have a bunch of uh, RS. There's another like RSB uh, RS11 back cross that's supposed to drop too. Big fans of the work they're doing. Everything. Um, Dying breed, whatever dying breed's working on is always heat. Uh, Shiloh Massive, the thing I saw from him, I'm the most excited about was the Bobby Dazzler. I forget the exact, I forget the exact genetics on it, but if you look up uh, Massive Genetics, the Bobby Dazzler was the one on this year's menu I was the most excited about. Um, I've seen uh, a bunch of stuff, the, some of the new Sea Junkie stuff. Heat, heat, heat. Got to try, got to try the Pear Cobbler for the first time uh a couple a couple weeks ago after mentioning it mentioning it on the 12 strains of christmas because when i talked to sea junkie last year i was like you know um i didn't get to talk to jay but i got to talk to one of his one of his partners wes and i was like wes what's your favorite you know what's your favorite you know obviously uh and he was like oh i think it's a pair of cobbler and so like that was the one you know that would had been on my radar for months finally got to try it lived up to everything um mm-hmm. the new wonder the new wonder brought oz's uh the oz the pineapple ozk that they're doing with um be real fire that's that's their second collaboration with be real after the original ozk that's brett's old school that's brett's old school pineapple that he's had for god knows how long crossed with the uh third gen family ozk seeds his boy originally like uh got two packs of it at chalice back in the day, left the pack, left the two packs in his, the two packs were in the dude's kitchen. And Brett was talking to him was like, at, uh, Brett was, the dude was at Brett's house one time, like mentioned. And he was like, Oh man, I wish I got some of those OZK seeds back in the day. And the dude was like, Oh, I have them at my house. Here, let's go get them. And just, he just gave them to Brett to pop. And wow. so like, there's so many crazy, there's so many crazy stories about these like famous phenotypes that like how, like they were rescues, like, uh, you know, the, the, OG, the original OG Kush flew over in Matt Bubba Kush Berger's pocket. It was five, it was five cuts of the OG. It was five cuts of the Bubba and five cuts of this other strain that like didn't, didn't make it. Uh, but like all but one of those five OG cuttings, original OG cuttings died. And we got the like most famous strain, you know, as much as we talk about hype weed, you know, how popular was OG Kush before social media? You know what I mean? So it's... <laughs> Thank you know these crazy miracles of one plant surviving the OGK the OGKB like the NorCal saved and named after the guy that gave him it's it's, it's awesome it's so fun it's so fun and and I wish I could hold on to all the genetics I've ever had I can only hold on to a fraction and even that 
I have a suitcase size full of uh, seeds that I'll probably never get to pop. I keep collecting. I think a lot of the, the growers really love that aspect of just the diversity. When you, when you pop a seed, it's, it's like a gift. You don't know what you're going to get. I thought the people with, I thought the people with suitcases were hoarders until I walked into a freezer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. We're just amateurs. Yeah. You think someone has, you think somebody has a problem and then it's like, Oh, okay. This is what it's like. Cause this is, it's in fact, like, I don't like, this person could be growing weed for Walmart and I don't think they'd get the chance to pop all these seats. Like, <laughs> Jimmy, I got to tell you to start a support group because I just want to meet everyone else that has my problems. <laughs> but yeah, a freezer Trump suitcase every time. <laughs> God. Well, listen, I'm thankful that there are people that are preserving the genetics and I'm very appreciative of all of those that are innovating the new, new and the new genetics. Uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today and to our listeners. Is there any way people can uh, catch up with you or follow what you're writing or what you're... Uh, yeah, I'm so like, honestly, I get so lost in the writing part. Sometimes I'm bad at like updating social media and stuff. But generally speaking, my muckrack page is great because it aggregates everything from everywhere I'm writing. Uh, and then if you go to my, if you go to my, if you go to my Instagram or my Twitter, uh, my link tree has links to everything, all my author pages, blah, 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 Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and yeah, so like the, the Instagram's the most fun and then the rest of it's more resourcey. <laughs> it's awesome, man. Well, again, thank you so much for making the time. Everybody go check Jimmy out uh, at his muckrack page or at Insta and, uh, you know, really look forward to another conversation and Gosh, I wish I could try some of those NorCal genetics with you next season, but uh, oh, it's going to be heat, yeah. man. I don't doubt that. I wish, Hold I on. wish everybody could. That's the job. <laughs> Listen, you're living a dream job. Just yo, I wait, yo, every dude, I wake up every day like it's like presuming there's twenty thousand people that want to steal my job, and I'm just trying to be nice to everybody and hope it works out. <laughs> dude, ask permission and do no harm is all you can do. Uh, we. Have Appreciate it, Jimmy. It's been amazing. Thank you and uh, have a great day. Keep crushing, man. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Future of Growth. We love to hear from our audience. Have a great idea for a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover? Thoughts you want to share? Reach out to media at agrify.com. Don't forget to stay connected with Agrify at Agrify Corp on all platforms and by visiting us at www.agrify.com. See you next time for another episode of The Future of Growth.